0: Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review, and/or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlin. Thanks again for listening. And remember, passion gets you started, purpose keeps you going. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Some of the different speaking engagements you've had over the years. Uh, tell us a couple highlights. Some of the either the actual the talk you gave or like the group you were with or something that made it memorable for you tell you a couple of um
1: uh, that summer when i was uh a broker than broke hmm. motivated seminar first summer uh, the get motivated seminar with uh, they have been around for 10 or 15 years but they um they, it was zig ziglar and, and schwarzkopf and Giuliani, you know a, a bunch of big hmm. speakers and they would, they would go to a big arena and, uh, you know, usually where, it, well, they came to Houston and it was at where the Rockets played back then. It was the oh, okay where Joel Osteen's got his church now, about 20,000 people, 15, 20, and I had seen Zig before, uh, so I didn't go to watch Zig. I was looking for the promoter. The guy puts it together, oh, right? Yeah. I was trying to get in. And so uh, we spotted him right by the stage, right before Rudy Giuliani was going upstate and we spotted him. And my coach, my mentor, right, had told me, he told me, write a book. And the other thing he had told me was record your first talk. Okay. just record them all actually. Right. Right. That's the easiest product. Now you got a CD and then you can sell it. Right. Unless you're making Mm -hmm. some money. Cool. So I had my CD and I spotted the guy and I told him and I cornered him. I mean, he had no way out. And (laughs) (laughs) And I said, I got a great Olympic story. And it's a story that gives people hope. And you and I both know people buy little products when they have hope, right? Then I started doing this. He started doing this and he caught himself, right? So, Take a listen <laughs> to this. And, uh, you know, you need to bring me in. The next week, I had a gig in Tampa and that's where they were based. So I took the Olympic mm-hmm. torch because I was a torch fan, yeah. And I cold called them. They didn't even know I was coming, right? And I go in their office. and he goes, hey, where is he? Is Peter here? And he was there, but he was like hiding in the closet. They said he wasn't. <laughs> like, but, but his assistant, who I actually met at one of the big product tables at the event, her name is Hannah. And Hannah said, hey, really I remember you come, come to the conference room. And I told her, I said, man, I'll fire him up. I like your idea, Ruben. I think we should do that. Uh, I'll let him know. Well, I followed up, by phone with Hannah every month for 18 months, okay? Wow. And after 18 months, they started booking. And mm. they, they share the stage with Zig and big arenas, okay? Not the huge ones. They have two circuits. One of them is the, you know, the big, big arena. And the other ones are like the roller doves and treeports and places like that where the okay. arena might 5,000 people. But well, the mm-hmm. first handful of times that I spoke in front of, of, of those groups, I felt like lost. Okay. It wasn't nervousness. It was just like I wasn't connecting. I was, and mm-hmm. I only had to speak for 30 minutes. And right before the sixth time, uh, I was following Zig. I was going to follow Zig, I'm standing on the side of the stage watching, you know. And I noticed that about 75% of the time he was looking down at the first couple of rows and then he would look at this black area here so that he connect with these people and he'd look over here and he'd look mm-hmm. here, but then he'd come down here. Well, the reason I realized, oh, see, I wasn't, I felt lost because I wasn't look, I couldn't see people. I could see all these lights. And I didn't even think about looking down to the front row. Mm-hmm. So that's how you do it. And so then I went and I could, you know, see them and they're smiling and they're all excited and having a good time. And so I, it fires me up and I look here, I look here, I look at these people. And it was, and it's a trick. You can have a million. It doesn't matter how many because you can't see them anyways. Right. Right. You got to connect. And so that was oh one time we're at one of the events. Zig is sitting down. He's in his 80s. He's sitting at this table. You know, they're selling books and he's signing. You might have been and the line was a mile long. And you might've been, you know, waiting for 45 minutes. You finally get to see, and it was like nobody else existed. It was like Mm -hmm. hundred percent focused on you and he made you feel special and it wasn't rushed and it was, and that's what people loved. It was real, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, he had a little, he had a little pin. It was a fish. It had number seven on it. Right. and all I did was I was just standing in the sack on the side, just watching, right, trying to learn, trying to figure out what you say, well, how you talk to people, what works, what doesn't, and then. Uh, this guy comes up, you know, to get his book signed and he looks at that thing and goes, yeah, I know what the fish means, Christian, but what's the seven? Mm-hmm. He goes, oh, that's just to remind me, I need to be a good Christian seven days a week, not just on Sunday. <laughs> 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 so that was, he learned so much and it gives you so, so, so much confidence, right? To be able to mm-hmm. you know, play in with those people. Uh, the other big one just happened last year. My first mm-hmm. job in in, in high school was Chick-fil-A. Uh, I worked at Chick-fil-A number 85. There's only 85 Chick-fil-A's back then um, yeah. in Houston, in a little mall in Houston. We had a lousy location, no uh, <laughs> traffic, nobody, nobody. I mean, people walk up and says, um, I have a Chick-a-Flake or they say, I have a Chick-fil-A. Nobody knew how to say it. We weren't uh, okay, And so, but we in cons- even though we had a lousy location, it's just only a top 10 in sales. Our 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 manager, super good ho guy, always doing, you know, all, all these great promotions and things, and he made mm-hmm. it fun. Yeah. We had almost no turnover in three and a half years, okay? Wow. I mean, st- this is 45 years ago. We still keep in touch with the crew, still keeps in touch, but we keep in touch with Steve. Okay? He lives in Nice. After three years, Chick-fil-A figured out this guy that's running a store. He needs to be training other operators, right? So mm-hmm. they brought him in to Atlanta, made him a VP of training, and they brought in this lame company. Uh, this lame manager, within, it wasn't fun anymore, wasn't challenging. Within six months, we all quit, right? Because yeah. it was funny. And so that's what I learned to realize that, wow, leadership really does come from the top because the leader sets the tone, the culture, mm-hmm. right? Um. So last year, Chick fil A booked me to do their national convention. Cool. Usually it would have been like 15,000 people. Um. Uh, mm-hmm. It was right after COVID. So it was, it was a hybrid, like 6,000 people, which is still a good, fun crowd. Yeah. And I got to share with them, you know, my stories, you know, about, about Steve and, and how, and then the goal was these, these operators, they are actually doing really good business. Okay. Because all of a sudden everybody loves Chick-fil-A, right? It's it's very popular, but they're running on scale and Cruise because of COVID and they are burnt out. A lot of them went business. So you need to remind them. Okay. And and I told them how, you know, when I went working at Chick-fil-A, I was such a recluse. I didn't talk to anybody. I was so shy. Steve is saying, you know, working for me, you know, working for chick you just hang around this place and I'll teach you stuff, it'll, you know, will help you, uh, the rest of your life. And then don't you ever think that this is a, a stepping stone to the next job. This can, if you play your cards right, this can be a springboard to a great future. And I bought into it and I started, you know, uh, coming out of my shell and I mm-hmm. got to believe that those three years during high school, uh, you know, with, with Steve, uh, gave me the confidence that once I saw Scott Hamilton a couple of years later, I was ready mm-hmm. to make it. Otherwise, yeah. I might still say that was cool. I'm just going on with my normal. So sure. I mean, I give them credit for it. And it was great. Garth mm-hmm. Brooks, uh, he opened he, the night before oh. Brooks and he sang and, and uh, nice. it was great. I'll have to send you a link to uh, actually videotaped it. I only spoke for 20 minutes, but it was oh, wow. great. Yeah, really great. Nice. Production. best production I've ever been in as far as Very life.
0: cool, very cool. Well, as you know, the podcast is called Relationships and Revenue. And one of the things that, that I believe, Ruben, uh, to, the, to the core of my being, is that in order for my businesses to be the absolute best they can be, it starts with the relationships that I deem to be most significant. And for me, those are with my kids. Those are family ones. So with that as the backdrop. What are you doing right now to build into, to make better, or to improve your most significant relationships, and what impact
1: do those relationships have on your business? Wow. That's a great question. He, when we were dating, many moons ago, one, one of my man. friends who was a couple of years, a few years older, maybe 10 years older, he was a successful businessman. He was kind of like a mentor to me. And he lived on one end of Houston, lived on the other. It was like a two-hour drive because it's bad. So we always, yeah. always meet at Denny's in the middle. <laughs> and one time he, um, I don't know what was going on. He said, man, I'm just coming all the way to my house. And I did. I go over and the first time I met his kids back then, his oh. kids were 10 and, 10 and eight. And, um, and man, they look at me right in the eye. Good handshake. Yes, sir. No, sir. I said, okay, great. What's up with these kids? I've, I've never seen kids like this. Before. So we homeschool and uh, It's not about the education. We, we control the values around here. The education is going to be good if it's one on one. We control the value. You know? Okay. It's about the values cool and that kind of planted a seed and then when we you know got married a few years later had our first kid uh we decided we're going to try this homeschool thing it was still pretty fringe back then but yeah. uh i say we homeschool my wife's on ninety nine percent of it i'm pe and attitude right i mean i'm like <laughs> i basically my rules with my kids are uh, don't whine and don't quit okay <laughs> you don't whine <laughs> don't quit. And I'm, I'm your friend <laughs> Ever since they were little, I would tell them, life is tough, okay? It's going to knock you down. It's unfair. So many times it's unfair. You do everything right, but it doesn't work out. And so, but we're tough. Well, you are mm. bulldogs around here. No chihuahuas allowed, right? And so, <laughs> and life knocks you down. You know what we do? Pick ourselves up, dust yourself off, and get back in the game, right? Because that's what mm. champions are. And so, they've taken that to heart and they're very resilient, tough, you know, kids, they, they outward competition. They're very coachable, unlike their dad, oh. <laughs> like old Ruben. And, um, right, right, and they're, they're gonna leave me in the dust and I love it. Okay. Because see our, my, my feeling mm-hmm. is our, as parents, our finished product is their raw material. Right. So mm-hmm. I didn't know what they can come. Mm-hmm. Um, our son, Grayson, when we moved to Colorado Springs, he was six and Gabriella was 10 and one day we went to the Olympic training center. And it was, and it happened to be, they call it Olympic Day. It's one day in the summer. And they, it's kind of like an uh, open house where all the different mm. sports are doing demonstrations. They're trying to recruit little kids. You yeah. get them at at five, six years old, put them in a program for 15, 20 years. You might have an Olympian, right? Mm. You might have a medalist. And so that's where it all starts. And so we, Grayson and I went and um, we saw, you know, saw several sports, nothing really grabbed them. And then we walked down these steps. So there's this dojo at the bottom and uh, there's blue mats and there's this mean-looking god of the, you know, black belt, right? As we walk down the steps, he looks at Grayson. He's a preemie. They're both preemies. So he's a little. And no. he looks at me and he goes, you, get over here. Okay. <laughs> but he walks right in front of him and he has him stand, right? He goes, okay, stand in front of me. And it face the same way. I'm grab my alarm, pull across, do like a, a up. This is the same thing. And so Grayson does that. And the guy basically does a, a flip over him. But Stop. Grayson flipped him, right? This is how yeah. they recruit judo he sure. looks and he back. goes dad i don't want to do judo when we come home he talks to his sister into it right well this judo is at the olympic training center club the coach is the national team coach okay and yes. uh well we go we, we go twice a week and the resident athletes the top athletes who live there right um every day but they were just finishing one of their workouts and there's a bunch of little kids that showed up that day you know he grabbed a couple of olympians and you know and and the coach he's the first american to win a medal in sport of judo for the u.s right wow so that's the environment they're in and yeah. uh and coach said look we're gonna have to manage his expectations okay because you know girls immature faster than boys do and sister is four years older you know she's gonna get this a lot faster He goes, coach whatever you say you know, done paid done and so every three months they would do these Titions against other dojos, right? Sometimes they we're out mm-hmm. of state. And his sister Gabriela, she had this little shimmy move. She would do put the other person off balance and flip them. And she's winning medals left and right. Right? She's picking mm. up right away. Grayson, he was clueless. First six, <laughs> first six tournaments. Okay, first year and a half, he didn't win a single fight. I mean, mm-hmm. I used to kid him. I said, "Man, you know what the ceiling of every dojo in Colorado looked like, buddy? Because you're always mm-hmm. on your back." Yeah. Don't quit on me, man. You're glowing on the inside. What are these days going to pop up? It will. You don't know. Mm. For his uh, seventh uh, tournament, coach, he says, hey, he's getting it. He's getting it. got to keep an eye on him this time. And he wins, right? He wins. Mm. The gold medal. And he comes nice. up, all poofed up, right? Goes, yeah, 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 yeah. Metal's nice. But you know what I'm proud of? You didn't quit. You stuck it out with nine percent That's, that's what right. you a champion. You take that attitude and, uh, and, and whatever you do and, man, sky's the limit. And so, yeah. man, that's how he's been. And so, uh, very tough, very hardworking, very person. Um, when he was about 10, he, uh, he started doing RC planes, right? Uh, remote control planes. And these mm. planes are hundred, hundred fifty 150 bucks a pop and crash them once. And it's 150 bucks, right? After mm-hmm. he crashed a couple of them, I told him, dude, you have to figure out a way to make some money because I'm not going to bank with this." And he couldn't go right. along he was still so short. You know, he couldn't get the <laughs> handle on a car because I got a big place. You were on seven acres. Oh, wow. so, um, it. And so this is what I do, dad. And so I, you know, I, I showed him, right? I showed him the book page right there. And I said, okay, see those books and they're all personal development, how to, you know, mm-hmm. how to be your best, a lot of history and good stuff. And just read any book you like out of there. You write me a one page report and it's not even a report. I just, I don't care that it's, I don't care about the grammar. I don't care if the sentences are, are, are right. I just want you to write me a list of the things you learned, things that cool no. things. You yeah. Know. Okay. That's it. That's all I want. I'll give you 10 bucks for everyone. Mm. Okay. Well, when I made this deal, I didn't know that he was a speed reader. Over the next <laughs> two years, he read 80 books, okay? He wow. Read, so he started, and I would test them because they both read so much faster than me that I got I had to test them. I didn't believe it. It's okay. What did he say here? I'm like, you know, right? Read it. And so now he's, he's getting that repetition, same principles of success over and over mm-hmm. and over again, right? From all these little, it becomes him. And last year, uh, we took the 50 best reports and we turned it into a book, right? it's oh, called yeah. Launchpad, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, it's, what do you learn from each of these 50 books called Launchpad? And so, mm. so it's, um, and, and then we gave these books out and then helped them, you know, get, get nominated for the Air Force Academy has opened up doors and, well, we've co-wrote it, but it's, uh,
0: yeah.
1: and Gabby, we co-wrote one after the Olympics. So when Gabby was nine, Gabriella, uh, when well, we were at the Olympics in Vancouver. I wanted to make her understand that Olympians, you know, everybody makes a big fuss about Olympians, but, I, and, and then on top of that, you know, they come see me speak, everybody, you know, claps and standing ovation. I said, look, people stand up. as the way saying same thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't mean all those people, they're better at me at something. Okay. They're probably mm-hmm. better at me at a bunch of things. Okay. I just happened to, you know, have a fun uh, story and that's why, but I wanted to get her to get it. And so I made a point, made her a point get her to meet a bunch of my Olympic friends and she understood. She's yeah, like, they're just like you, Dad. Especially Luge. It's a very blue collar sport. it's not it's okay not like, it, it's not like uh skating or gymnastics or alpine skiing, right? Where these people are they start reading their own, you know, their own press clip things, right? It gets to their head. But, yeah. you know, but Luge very, very laid back. And so she got it. When you get back home, she says, Dad, I want to write a book. I want to interview hundred Olympic yeah. What you hit your drain? Did you overcome your act your, your And uh, what do feel like when you make Mm-hmm. It's called Dream Struggle, Victory. And it's mm. a bunch of great stories you can open up anywhere. And it, and it's a, you, know, and you realize, when you read that book, you realize that you're not the only one that's having struggles. Everybody has struggles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. it, and so it teaches you how to fight for your dream. Very so, cool. Yes, I, I don't know if that answers my question. It does. It does. Right? It does do that those, helps. Schools, yeah, that helps for sure. Um, yeah. What does success look like? It has and, nothing to do well. It has nothing to do with fame or money or whatever. Unless... It was your goal to be famous, driving a sports car and be rich, right? So success to me means I had a goal. I did my work. I reached my point. And so I was successful. I made it. So if your goal is to lose 15 pounds and you go to Pizza Hut with all your friends, your goal is you're not going to eat pizza because you want to lose 15 pounds. You're just going to have the salad, right? And that Diet Coke or water. If you did that, you reached your. If your goal was, I'm going to go to Pizza Hut, I'm going to finish all those pizzas all by myself, and you eat the whole thing, you were successful too, right? Yeah. They were both successful, <laughs> but it has nothing to do. It, and it's kind of sad when I, I remember when I spoke at, a lot at schools, the first year and a half was of schools, I'd be corporate. And now I do about almost half of my talks are sales kickoffs because of my copier sales training. But I'll, I thought mm-hmm. i talk not talk sales techniques and stuff like that. Right? I'm sure. To, and how to, you know, condition your mind to do what you need to do. You know what mm. you need to do, getting yourself to do it, that's another thing, right? <laughs> right, right. So, so, uh, uh, so I got lost. I was uh, asking about success.
0: You already gave me your definition yeah, of success. So,
1: yeah, so it's sad. And I remember when we would do Q and A's at the end of speaking to a bunch of kids, especially if they were like middle school or high school, almost always somebody would ask, are you famous or are you rich? And it's like, that's what they, you know, watching TV and everything, the world, uh, they think that's success, but uh, success is uh, different, you know, you want to have fun, you want to make your life an adventure, whatever that means Mm -hmm. to you. What is your number one daily habit? Number one daily habit. What's become my number one daily habit is when I, when I went to train, I was sliding better than ever. Uh, the start, the starter of a <laughs> lead run, it's kind of like a, a, like a deadlift, right? You know how the deadlift is you have a bar in the bottom, but mm-hmm. like that's all lower yep. back, but it's horizontal. You're sitting on the sled and you go, <clears throat> right. It's all lower back, a lot of this uh, problem. Uh, and so, and then you have spikes on your fingertips you need to build up speed. You can build up speed before curve one. Then you lay down from that point on it's who can drive the best lines to stay, you know, uh, aerodynamic and consistent, mm-hmm. right? Sure. And so, coach said, your driving is great. Uh, your, um, your initial pull, it's fine. I mean, you're strong like a bull, even at 60. But you've been sitting at your desk writing books for the last 20 years. You're stiff, man. You're just, you need to open up your hips and, and, you know, you need to stretch. Stop lifting weight. Just stretch. Yoga. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I got a whole program, you know, in the morning. Try to do it in the evening to uh, uh, start off with a few sit ups just to warm up that area. And then just a series of yoga moves and stretching to open up my hips so that when I'm paddling, I'm mm. able to get myself down further. Mm. And I said, we can gain one mile per hour for curve one. Man, that's what's that's where you're hurting. And we, we need to work on that. Okay. My habit is, you know, as soon as I wake up or I open, up, you know, turn on what, check up my phone, check the laptop. No, first get mm. down. Let's get some, you know, at least some core stuff going and stretching. Oh, uh, good. You know, 30, 45 minutes of that, and mm-hmm. and that starts the day. Right. Okay, perfect. And sometimes I got a podcast, you know, on listening to that, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, just to keep my brain. So it's enough. Yeah, for, yeah,
0: for sure. Or music. Now, this is a question that I don't ask all of my guests, but because I think it applies, that's why I'm asking. What role would you say your faith plays in your business?
1: Big big role. <laughs> I mean, lose. You know, people think all you do is, uh, you know, you're, you're laying down, you're going downhill. How hard can that be, right? Well, uh, it, it's, it's real good for your prayer life. All right. Really, really <laughs> I can imagine, so, you know, I can do all things. For Christ who strengthens me. You know, I, uh, I, I believe I truly believe look, I, when I told you earlier that I'm not a great athlete. I mean, I said, no, that's not false modesty. All right. I'm not, but I got a lot of heart, you know, and I don't mm-hmm. quit, And, and I truly believe and, and I, look non-athlete make to the only lousy and 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 school and best selling author, a real best selling author. I mean I've sold hundreds of thousands of books. It's not just like uh, the Amazon trip Uh, Right, right. And and I'm an introvert and I've been a professional speaker, you know, for twenty plus years. I Mm -hmm. mean that's not a God. And so it's it's almost like he um he he allowed me to do these things so that I have a platform where I can encourage people so that, you know, my, mind, no matter what the goal is, when I, you know, let's say you just book me to speak for your people, right? You got a hundred salespeople you want to phone up. Um, you book me. And so we'll have a call and I always ask them, okay, what's the, what's your goal? What's your goal with your people? Mm-hmm. What do you want to do? What's the struggle? You know, I had to overcome all these struggles. What's holding them back? But I know those two things, you know, I can, I, I, I can work it. I know which stories to include, et cetera. Right. And, but I, I let them know that, look, my, the main thing that I'm going to do for your people is I'm going to take their excuses away because mm. my goal, is I want to walk out of my talk thinking, if that guy can make it to the Olympics, you know, one time I can do anything. And now they're ready to face their fears, right? They're ready to face their fears. And, and they realize that nine times out of 10, the fear was just a smokescreen that when you face your fear, the fear disappears, you know, it was just yeah. in your head, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember you're always sitting, you know, let's say the a big event and uh say it's uh, xerox or something and you're sitting in the front with all the you know c c level people and the vps and i remember i was sitting with them on that front row and it, we're waiting for their ceo or, or was talking to the finish and it's going to be my turn to go. and i'm kind of quiet you know i'm not you know and i'm not preparing mentally because i know what i want to do i'm i'm just introvert and i see a couple of them they they look at me and they whisper something to each other right you know, I know what you guys are talking about. You think I'm going bomb, right? <laughs> well, guess what? <laughs> I'm Clark Kent real life. I'm Superman up there. And I turn into Clark Kent, you know, when I come back down. Mm-hmm. And sometimes from the stage, I'll say, look, you could have brought in uh, Evander Holyfield or LeBron James or Michael Jordan to come speak to your guys. But after, and, and, and they would have told them the same success principles that I follow because that's Everybody does to reach their goals and dreams. But after your people would have walked off and said, oh, well, that'll work for LeBron. That won't work for me. But when I'm done with them, right, they're going to go walk out. Baby, that'll work for him. That'll work for anybody. Right? And I'm all right. lot cheaper dude. than LeBron. He at me, laughing, You're getting a deal with me, all right? <laughs> but it's all, I think it, it is a God thing. He kind of let me, you know, just like, you know, Moses, you know, he was not a leader type. He was a shy guy too, you know, and Mm -hmm. he he took these people that had nothing going for him. And so that, uh, so that afterwards people will realize, man, he's, God's working through this person, right? They can't take Mm -hmm. credit because how can an introvert do that on stage? Sure. You know,
0: honestly, Ruben, most of the best speakers I've ever known are introverts. Is that right? Yeah. I hear that
1: a lot. Not all, but several. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't have that many speaker friends, believe it or not. Because uh, it's a lot of them, not all, but a lot of them are in it for the applause, right? It's like, Oh, I know. Oh, yes. I know. It's, yeah. it's like, uh, I don't want to hang around you. But I remember I this one guy, I actually liked him, you know, and, and I really liked him as a person, but he couldn't turn it off. I mean, we might be, yeah. you know, like uh, a, a restaurant somewhere and, and he would order, well, I'll have the chicken with the red tomato sauce. Hey, come on, man. You're embarrassing me. Talk normal. Enunciating the <laughs> waiter, please. And so, right, uh, right. but, but the ones that are very down to earth, like Leah and people like that, I think those are the best because it comes from the heart. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What makes a great leader? Makes a great leader. I'm I'm going back to Steve Mason, my Chick-fil-A uh, mentor, you know, our, our manager. He made it fun. He made it challenging. He, he, uh, he treated us all differently. I remember Craig, Craig. He was kind of a bodybuilder back then, right? We were all high school kids, but he was the, the kid that loved the gym. Mm-hmm, right. But always, I mean, Steve would always point out, wow, man, you must you must have been working out extra hard this week because that shirt looking a little tight. And he liked that. With <laughs> me, he'd say something about the soccer team. And so he he realized he knew what our buttons were, right? Mm-hmm. We weren't a bunch of people. We were individuals. Yeah. And he was always positive, And he taught us stuff. And I remember when he talked, before I spoke a couple of years ago, maybe three or four years ago, I spoke to the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, and mm. and Steve uh, lives there, right? And so I called him up and I says, "Hey, you are it's a leadership talk, that I'm, I'm going to talk about you. So if you want to come, you know, you're invited." And so he came and listened, and it was great. Mm. And then um, afterwards, they gave us a tour of the guts, the inside, right? Of no. where all the money is right. It was awesome. Yeah. You know the last scene of uh, Indiana Jones where there's that giant warehouse and there's boxes that go on forever. Mm. Mm-hmm. It was like that, but it was money. It was, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so we're walking down this hallway and then the, the guide, you know, the guy that brought me to speak, he's like a couple of steps in front of us. And Steve and I are just shoulder to shoulder about chit-chatting and, and following this guy and through toward it, Kathy, toward Kathy is the guy who started Chick-fil-A, okay, yeah. uh, you know, back in, back in the day. And uh, I got to meet him too. I got to spend a few hours with and He has some great stories, but we're, one thing that Steve would, would teach us is you don't walk over trash. Right? We have mm-hmm. pride in how our restaurant looks, right? It doesn't matter who you should see trash or uh, a gum wrap or whatever. you bend been down, you pick it up. And we okay. see a trash, can you drop it? Right? Mm-hmm. And so we're walking down the hall of the Federal Reserve Bank and there's this gum wrapper or something. And our guide, he he wasn't trained at Chick-fil-A's, so but he walked right over it. And mm. Steve and I, we almost knocked heads because we over <laughs> and looked at each other and said, you still do that, Steve? He goes, Are you kidding? True told told me that. You know, of course I do it. Like, But he, you know, little things that made a uh, an impact, right? And so Mm -hmm. this talk, right? Yeah. I mean, forty years later, he's still doing the things that he taught us we needed to do. Yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah, very cool. Tell me about a time that you failed really big and what the result was of that. (laughs) Just one time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was doing a a podcast. I'm gonna I'm gonna hook you up with Jim. Do you know Jim Harshaw Jr.? I don't. Podcast on failure, right? Okay, and he can TED talk about how he teaches his kids to fail. All right, yeah. Uh, and and this guy was an NCAA Division One, I, um, uh, I think he was All American wrestler, and then he was the okay. youngest NCAA Division One wrestling coach for ten years. And he went to corporate and now he has his own business, coaches. But you said you be he, feeding off each other talking about failure, but mm. and lose you fail your way to the top. I mean, they start you on like if you go to let's say uh, you're in Park City, Utah. And uh, right outside of Salt Lake, and you're going to go learn there. Well, most tracks have 15, 16 curves. The park city, that puts you on curve 12. And you're going 20 miles an hour. And nothing, nothing works. Nothing coach says works because the sled is at the control. It's like you feel like you're on on a bar or so. And you Mm. crash, 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 crash. And then finally your brain figures it out, right? Because you're training your brain. Right, basically. Yeah. yeah, whatever you do, something new, riding a bike, juggling, whatever, you're training your brain, the brain figures it out, it's done, right? You you yeah. know it for life. And so figures it out. What does a coach do? Moves you up a couple of curves. Now you're going thirty. Thirty miles an hour, it's too fast. Crash, crash, crash. Figure it out. You literally work your way to the top, right? Okay. The people are not willing to, you know, to go through that failure, they don't they're never gonna make it. Um yeah. I have a couple of friends that were, one of them was an NBA player. Uh, he was, he's an all Fame. And then another one, uh, he was an Olympian in Alperville speed skier from Canada and they're mm-hmm. both, uh, one of them passed away, uh, Mark Eden passed away a couple of Dumb. years ago, but, um, they were both really good speakers. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I asked them on separate occasions. I said, you know, there's hardly any good speakers, you know, athletes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Speakers are any good. You know yeah i mean i don't get it what do you think and they both said the same thing you know totally separate occasions they, they, they hadn't been talking to each other um they both said you know very few people are they work so hard to make it you know we work We all three work so hard to make it to the top and very few people will start at the bottom and make it to the top again you know a, or already they're trying to wing it and yeah uh, oh gosh yeah uh, uh oh, man. mary lou retton she's another one that's very good she's awesome mm-hmm. so so it kind of goes back. They don't want to fail, or they get lazy, or I don't know what the deal is. But they, you can't, you can't improve um, when fear of failure, mm-hmm. fear of the unknown. That's what holds people back. And um, sure, from from even following coaches' advice. Coach says to do something, and you're, and you're afraid, mm-hmm. and um, and so you get stuck in your comfort zone. Well, you mm-hmm. can't improve if you're in comfort zone. You just can't, right? Well, you nothing to- grows there, man. Nothing grows in the comfort zone. No fertilizer, nothing. It's miracle on the outside, and so yeah.
0: I use I use the same analogy, Ruben, Um, and you'll appreciate this because you know you've climbed high heights. You know you get to a certain level when you when you go up in altitude, things don't grow anymore. Well, so so many people, and, and I'm thinking of some of these, you know, these top echelon athletes. You know, they're there. They're at the mountaintop. They've made it. But the problem is, life was never meant to be lived on a mountaintop. It was a reward for all the work. It was supposed to be temporary. If you want to grow, where the work happens, it's in the valley. <laughs> That's where it happens. Things grow in the valley. It's they true. grow in the st- struggle. If you don't struggle, you can't grow.
1: That's right. That's so true. That's great. analogy. Uh, yeah. And it's by the way, uh, you come to the Rocky Mountains or the Alps or the Andes, anywhere where there's mountains. The tree line is twelve thousand. So you can look. Mm-hmm. That's that's where stuff stuff big stuff stops stops scrolling, right? That you. Got right. To the cool thing about Killy was the bottom was in the jungle, right? There's actually baboons. No. Cool. over At the trailhead. they're kind of the baboons are kind of like squirrels. or used to get in It just keep your hands out of their mouth. Away from them. Yeah. They'll kill you. But um, uh, uh, so that starts. It's jungle, and then you go through five different ecosystems, and at the top, it's wow. it's, it's glaciers. Okay, it's glaciers. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen a glacier and the one mm. before glaciers or the one in the middle, it was this weird place that's got to be higher than 14,000 because Pike's peak is 14. And it's like, no, not like these weird plants. It feels like you're inside a Dr. Seuss book. I mean, <laughs> weird plants you've never seen before. And that's what grows. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But yeah, um, you, you can't, you can't grow in your comfort zone. You got to get out. And so when I realized that, that, um, you know, <laughs> that, Listening to coach and getting out of my comfort zone was going to allow me to grow. It was easy for you to follow coach. I had to make yeah. that, you know, that mm-hmm. get a click, right?
0: Right, right. You know, when I, when I talk about failing and how important that is to learning and to growth, um, I, I equate failing with pain. And, and again, that's something that most we're trained most of our lives to avoid that. To avoid the pain, to avoid failing, because somehow we equate that as being bad when it's actually the opposite. Because pain, in my mind, pain leads to purpose, which leads to platform. Mm, nice. Typically, <laughs> typically in that order. Not always, but yeah. typically it is in that order. And if we're not willing to go through the pain, not avoid it, not pretend like it's not there, not try to circumvent it,
1: but to actually work through it, purpose
0: and platform are on the other side.
1: Yeah. And- yeah, that's yeah, true. I mean, bodybuilders or anybody who hits the gym and want to look good, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the first, the, the first 10 reps are, are just getting you to the, or maybe the, the first three sets are getting to the really, you know, every, mm-hmm. that the job of that was just to get to the point. Now we're at the point where we're actually going to get something out of our work. I you know this <laughs> stuff was just, you know, introduction. Mm-hmm. I remember reading Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was training. Mm-hmm. He would do squats. He would just keep doing them until he lost consciousness. Wow! <laughs> Fall down, and mm-hmm. that was his point, you know. And that's why he's mm-hmm. Arnold, right? Right. Yeah, he's with more pain, and mm-hmm. so do what the competition's not willing to do, you know. Out. Yep. And um, you, you know another another struggle. A couple of years ago, COVID hit. Right. That March, the phone was ringing because everyone was canceling, Right. Uh huh. <laughs> yep. And uh, and I, oh, well, I told my wife, I said, "Man, don't buy anything, Right. I was like first day that started happening, I was hang on, I got to figure this mess out. And immediately, like, this, you know, later that day, I realized, okay, hey, I got to get my voice together. I've got to, you know, three friends, or are good, good friends and their speakers. I was okay, we got to figure out this, this virtual thing, okay? Mm-hmm. So, uh, let's throw mud on the wall, okay? This is what, something my coach told me, you throw mud on the wall, some of it's going to stick, we can clean up the mess later. Well, I'm still throwing mud on the wall 20 years later, right? <laughs> let's figure out everything that doesn't work. Let's make every mistake in the book. Let's take chances. We'll touch base, you know, at least every other day, uh, to for you know, what's working, what's not, mm-hmm. and and we'll figure it out. Okay, we've got to figure out the eighty percent of the stuff that doesn't work and the, and the twenty that does. But we okay. we won't know unless we fail. And and these guys think this way, so we did it. And within a couple of weeks, we had it figured out. When it was off to the races. And so man, I love virtual gaming. You want mm-hmm. so easy. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. So, uh, so my, I had one booked for Dubai and i have been in Dubai a couple of times for So that's a mm-hmm. long line. It's so hot over there. I mean, I really want, I'm looking forward to it. I've done Dubai. Mm. Yeah. There's going to be 10,000 people, a big insurance. Thing. And, um, COVID hit and it, and it turned into a virtual one. I got the, got almost all the money for doing it virtually. Yeah. yeah. So saved myself 40 hours of back pain in a plane.
0: For sure. For sure. Well, we're getting close to wrap up time here, Ruben. But before we get there, is there anything you have coming up that has you really excited or that you want to be promoting today? Because, man, I am all about entrepreneurs, about what's going on in life. And we can't sell stuff if people don't know about it. So what do you have coming up that you want people to know about?
1: Great. Uh, uh, Shortcut book. I tell you, I have friends who have read all of my books and all my books were doing great before. And they were really good books. And they Mm -hmm. said, one of them said, uh look, 30 years from now, they're not going to remember you for, for being in the Olympics. They're going to remember you for this book. <laughs> wow. So it's that good, guys. And it's something you can give to your kids. Uh, I'd say middle school and will get a lot out of it. especially now okay. you know, after high school, after all these graduations are happening. The shortcut, if you get it on Amazon, uh, you can get it, order it from me directly. I'll sign it. You can get it from Amazon, too. The Kindle one's just a buck, okay? Check wow. it out. Once you've read it, it's almost like, you know, go, go test drive it on Kindle. Yeah, yeah. And then when you see how good it is, you want to buy stacks of them to get to your employees and your kids and stuff like sure. that. Uh, I haven't got the audio one yet. Because uh, one of the characters, one of my coaches, he's from Ukraine. And I'm working oh, okay. on uh, No, I shouldn't say I'm working. I need to work on my Russian accent. I don't have <laughs> one. <laughs> and then you got to do a voice, voiceover. I'm sure. Sales. Why not getting that done? be But uh, yeah, the shortcut, the shortcut book, you're going to love it. It's uh, guaranteed.
0: Okay. Well, again, folks, we'll be sure to include that in our show notes for you to be able to get a hold of the book right away. All right. So, Ruben, we're coming up to our final four. There are four quick questions. You just tell me the first thing that pops in your head. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Number one. Oh, is that the first question?
1: No. That's that five was the All right. Here, why, <laughs> All right, here, here we go. <laughs> Why did God create Reuben? Why did God create Reuben? Just to inspire people, just to, mm. to inspire them and equip them to, uh, you know, to go after their dream, face those fears and hold them back.
0: Mm. Love that. Number two, what are you doing, reading or listening
1: to right now that's helping you grow? I just spoke in Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, for the second time. Last time was 10 years ago. And I guess the only good hotel over there is the, the Captain Cook Hotel. That's where you stay. And it's got a bunch of stuff about Captain Cook. And so I read a, I read one of his biographies and I, I just finished it last night. Really, really cool. And then this Rudy book, I'm going to reread it. I just finished it about a month ago. I'm going to reread it because it's that good. I mean, uh, wow. Uh, yeah. Rudy, my story. I just love that. Okay. Number three, what do you do for fun? What do you do for fun? I got a, uh, a ping pong. I love ping pong. Hard okay. finding somebody that's good. And um, <laughs> I'm, I'm competitive. I didn't have a ping pong machine, but um, I got a pickleball uh, court oh. set up inside mm-hmm. in our court. Uh, I, I love that because it's tennis without the running. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and soccer's fun too. I, I like soccer as long as this is the, and, and indoor soccer, right? Or you know, six on six. I, there you go. I get this. This past December, we had our 40th uh, anniversary of our soccer team, our college soccer team winning our champ, our, our conference. And we were top twenty in the U.S. Oh. We had a well, most of the guys were from Puerto Rico. They basically went and recruited the Puerto Rican junior national team, and all of a sudden we, we were oh. a championship team, right? And all of a sudden, <laughs> really, uh, you know, my only injuries were splinters from from the bench. But <laughs> uh, so we had a reunion, and um, and we played against some other teams. It was going to be half. Know, half court right they had two mm-hmm. four goals uh, on on the pitch well none of these guys they're great soccer players but they're they haven't been doing their stretching exercises right I was mm. still run and even though I had the, the worst skills they put me up at the front and said we'll just get the ball to you see what you can do and I scored a goal very could nice that. <laughs> and then, Watched Argentina with the world cup over there with my soccer friends. Oh, and yeah. for, I was, I've been waiting 30. So I mean, I was crying like a baby. A
0: <laughs> gotcha.
1: All right. And number four, what are you most grateful for? Yeah, I'm grateful for a lot of, uh, for my parents instilling, you know, character traits that, that I, that I have. My dad was a chemical engineer. mom um, taught me the how to's. Uh, my mom, she taught me how to dream, right? She gave mm-hmm. me examples how, you know, your, your great, great parents, they were from Italy or from Spain, right? And when things got really bad, they left everything behind uh, with the hopes, right? They went to Argentina and, you know, the hopes of a better life. And and uh, and and then your grandma did the same thing. She moved. And then we did the same thing. We left everything behind to, come to the United States when things were really bad. And so we're willing to trade something that's good for something, that, you know, that could be great, right? It's mm-hmm. possible. And so she taught me how to dream and my dad showed me the steps. i grateful for that. Uh, grateful to... You know, uh, have been have come here as a kid. If I'd have stayed in Argentina, I never would have caught the Olympic dream because all I care about is soccer. And we right? That right. was a lousy soccer player, and so <laughs> nothing would have happened. Right? So I came here, you know, and and opportunities and, and meeting Steve and Chick's way, and then and then that kid asked me to be his show and tell project. I mean, My whole life is a God thing, Yeah. and right. uh, but you know what? Everybody's life is a God thing. So we just need haven't may have not realized it yet, for sure.
0: Well, Ruben, thank you so much for your time today, man. Really, it it means a lot. I mean, the stories that you share are so compelling. Uh, They make it really easy to catch a hold of not only what you're trying to convey, but the vision you're trying to cast. Uh, So thank you for your heart that comes through in every word that you have. Um, I've met a lot of people who do what you do, and very few do it how you do so thank
1: you for what you're doing. You're making a difference. Thanks. Thanks. I, I, yeah. So are you. So are you. Appreciate wow. that. Yeah. Looking forward to meeting the 3D while i yeah, For sure. For sure.
0: And thank you to all of you for tuning in today because you have given us your most precious resource and that's your time because I know you can't get it back. So thank you for investing your time today. I'm thankful for you. I know Ruben is as well. So thanks to all of you for being here today. And we will talk to you guys next time.